Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And today we're joined by Ted Green, a documentarian whose latest film, The Best We've Got, The Carl Erskine Story, will be airing on PBS SoCal July 4th. Ted's film is an in-depth look at Carl Erskine, a Dodger whose son Jimmy was born with Down syndrome 63 years ago, a time in our country's history when segregation plagued humanity. Carl and Betty, when faced with the inevitable institutionalization of their son, the option that was customarily given by the medical community to protect the integrity of the family unit, Betty made a choice to take her child home and raise him. A decision for the time that took great courage. And by doing so, she took some of the first steps to change the narrative of Down syndrome. Ted has been on the circuit showing his film this past year. And today he talks about what he has seen being a part of this grassroots movement that started some 63 years ago. In addition to the July 4th airing on PBS in Southern California, the film can also be found online at carlerskinefilm.com. Check the show notes for a link to the website. So welcome, Ted Green. Hello, Ted. Well, good morning, you guys. Good morning. Really great to see you. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing all right. How how about you guys? Doing good. We just hit summertime, so we're It's summer. Oh, we're excited. And you know it's summer when the first day out of the gate you're like what day is it? <laughs> Right. Your, your schedule is so different. Well, they didn't. Uh, Liam didn't have a Friday, so he had Thursday was his last day, and so Friday felt like a Saturday. I don't then, even know what yeah. it felt like. Oh, wait a second! You guys are saying summer because school is over. Yes. Ah, yes. I, I kind of forget those days. Uh, those were big, great days. Yeah. So how how are you? You were just here, weren't you? Just in the neighborhood. I was here for my daughter's um, graduation from USC. Congratulations. Thank you very much. She graduated, uh, I had to look it up, uh, summa cum laude. I've never been in that neighborhood. Um, and she's doing great. She actually went to Rome for a month right after that. And yesterday she arrived in Belize. Oh, wow. What did she study? What did your daughter study? Well, she, she started out uh, film um, and took about 10 different turns and ended up, I think both my daughters are, are, are racing to see who can make the least money. Um, because uh, the one from USC is in archaeology. And indeed, that's what she's doing right now in Belize. She's on a three-week Mayan dig. And the other one um, is in uh, social work. She's getting a master's in social work right now from Indiana University. So so it uh, looks like my wallet will be open for a little while to come. These are good people. These are two yeah, good I f- people. I feel like in life we start with one one set of goals, maybe, and then... As we change, what's important kind of changes. Uh, without question, like you know, I I can just look in the mirror for that one. I mean, I had no thoughts at all about anything involving film. I mean, I wanted to be a well, I wanted to be William Faulkner, um, but when that didn't work out, I I wanted to be a newspaper journalist, and I was for twenty years, and it was just on a lark that I tried a little video, and uh, now uh, eight films. Later, I guess I'm officially a filmmaker, although I still kind of consider myself a journalist. But I'm I'm much happier now with what I'm doing. I think, you know, I make less money. I have more fun, more impact. And, and actually, I'm really happy with the impact, you know, just to speak of what we're talking about here. The Carl Erskine film is it's it's really going well. And in fact, I'm really glad to be on. I'm so grateful because 
we've had a lot of updates just in the last few weeks. In fact, just in the last couple of days. So um, yeah, this has been this has been such a, an amazing, humbling experience. I I just couldn't be more grateful. Well, as much as we love to tell people's story on this podcast, that's the importance of documentaries, telling each other's stories, learning from each other. You know how we feel about your films and specifically the Ted Erskine story. I mean, the the Carl Erskine story. You feel like they're your parents, though. You feel like they're your family. So you could be the Ted. You could be Ted Erskine. <laughs> oh, I mean, Betty Erskine calls me her uh, fourth son. And my, my wife and I have grown extremely close with them. You know, my wife had a, is coming off a still still struggling a little bit with an illness. And a couple of times we've just gone up there, you know, no cameras or anything, just the four of us, uh, Carl and Betty and my wife and I, and we just, we just hang out and talk. We don't talk about baseball. We don't talk about the film. You know, we just talk about life and, and you can't help but leave a visit with Carl and Betty not feeling just, you know, on top of, on top of a mountain. When you were talking about your the different stories that you've told through film, maybe we could put a list of all of them. I know that when we were introduced to you, to your film, the film about... There's one before that you might be referring to, and that was about Eva Kaur. Yes. Who was uh, one of the Mengele twins, a Holocaust survivor, who actually ended up forgiving the Nazis. Very controversial decision to some, very lovely decision to to millions. Uh, and I, I, you know, as with Carl, I was able to to catch her, um, you know, in her later years and uh, got all sorts of wonderful people to really dive into her story. And she dove into it more than she ever had before. And it ended up revealing a side of her that a lot of people hadn't seen and very much humanized this woman who seems she just seemed like the headline Holocaust survivor who forgave the Nazis. Well, through the power of a documentary, you know, and you couldn't do this in a 15 or 20 minute piece, but through a 90 minute piece, as it ultimately became, you know, we were able to to reveal that, let her reveal that. And so you knew you were getting the the real, you know, the real deal there. And I think that that is something that documentaries can do. It's hard, as you know, it's hard to pack a lot of stuff into uh, into I usually do a 90 minute hole. Um, but you know, that I, my goal for all these pieces, um, is for people to say, you know, I wonder, wonder what that Eva core person, or I wonder what Carl Erskine was all about. They can watch this film and walk away and just be like, wow, now I, now I understand that's my goal. It, it really depends on whether the subject, him or herself is willing to go there, you know, how much they trust you, how much their family trusts you, you know, and, and that's why I don't even begin filming for the first year. Um, I just research and talk to people and try to gain their trust to make sure they understand we're all trying to to celebrate here. And uh, it, it has turned out as worked. It works very well. I've, I consider myself quite lucky to have been in the in the right place at the right time. Well, Eva Kors was the first documentary of yours that we watched. And I just remember how I, I didn't know anything about her, but it was just so insightful it was educational. So it's something that, you know, we want our daughter to watch with us to learn. And, uh, you, you know, you were talking about how it changed how people saw her. And I thought, well, isn't it sad that we jump to judge people so quickly without really knowing their story that goes hand in hand with our journey, uh, with Liam and down syndrome, how society was always so quick to, to jump on the judgment of who he is and what he can do. And I know in your documentary, 
what I enjoyed watching about it was as a parent, it answered a lot of my questions because I never understood why society was always like, I've, I've never been in a position except when we were getting married or I was pregnant where people just, you know, they, they want to share their, their opinions and advice. <laughs> Besides those two places, I've never been in a position where there was so, it was so saturated with exterior opinions and thoughts and judgments, primarily from people who did not know me and did not know my son. And the one thing, one of the things that I love about the Carl Erickson story is you take the time to go back to the root of where some of these beliefs came from. And I've enjoyed in other conversations when someone brings a misperception or some kind of prejudice they have that they think it's a fact that I can say, well, do you know where that came from? Do you know how that started? And your documentary just at least brought me an understanding because as a parent, no matter how hard I tried, no matter what I you know, said I was going to do, I was affected by these thoughts. I was affected by the misperceptions and um, they, they became, whether it was they became a part of my fight, but they still, I, I own them. I held on to them for, for longer than I needed to unnecessarily. I, I understand all that. And I will say that section of the film, well, look, I, I, I love the baseball. Um, certainly I love the Jackie Robinson angle. I think that's very important, but I, I do think in the, if we break the film up into four parts and the part you're talking about, it goes back to look at the history of how people with intellectual dis disabilities were, were mistreated, you know, from the top down for, for hundreds of years. Uh, I think that was the most important. I think it's the most horrifying. Um, I think it's, uh, it's the most affecting part of the film. I hadn't, I didn't know any of that. I certainly didn't plan when I didn't start set out to do a film on Carl Erskine and say, hey, I'm going to take this big deep dive back into the history of, of that. But then when I started researching it, I myself was just I, I, would, I just couldn't believe what I was reading. And especially, you know, it, it was very pertinent considering Indiana was the very first state back in the eugenics days to to uh, to, to have a compulsory sterilization law, which, as I say, is as sick as it sounds, and was followed up by a bunch of other states and became really the norm. So that part, it was, and it was a difficult tell as a part of the story. I mean, you're coming off this great baseball stuff, and all of a sudden, now we're we're diving back. But what I think, what I think that enables, what I think is happening, what I've been told is happening from people with Special Olympics, the Ark of Indiana, the Ark of the United States, and others is what this is doing is it's bringing a whole new set of eyeballs to not just the issue of, of the, the current day's treatment and acceptance of people with special needs, but how it got there. And, 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 you know, and it really makes people horrified to think, I can't believe it. You know, I'll say, I'll say this too. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this last time we were together. First of all, I should say, thank you for having me on again. I'm very, very grateful. I always back into the lead here, but um, you know, we got to, we showed the film to a group of uh, Special Olympics athletes. They're part of what we call the After Athlete Leadership University. Um, they have it here in, in the state of Indiana. They have it at Butler University, which is right by where I live. And so they had a special screening of the film for about 
75 or so athletes. And it was really interesting because let's say you're African-American and you're going to school, you're in middle school, you're in high school. I mean, never mind what might be going on right now in education, but you know, you generally have have some sense of what your heritage is, you know, how, how, how horrible it was, you know, and, and how unfair it was and, and, and what's led up to this point. But for the most part, um, people, at least I was told, people with Down syndrome and other uh, intellectual disabilities really didn't know what their heritage was. They, they knew what their current situation is. Um, and of course, there's, you know, all sorts of different um, development levels, but they didn't know. And, and that was absolutely fascinating. Like we watched him watch the film. And then afterward, there was a moderator who asked him a series of questions. What, what did you like about the film? What didn't you like about the film? What outraged you about the film? And let me tell you, the outrage answers were the best. I mean, there are people just in tears saying, I can't believe it. I mean, I would have been locked up if I had been born 50 years ago. You know, I wouldn't be able to do this. I wouldn't be able to compete in special Olympics. I wouldn't be an athlete leadership university. I wouldn't have all the, you know, the great schooling opportunities. And I have, and, and they're, they're great. They need to get better, of course. But it really, really struck them. And I was hoping it wouldn't strike them in, a, in too negative a way, but it didn't. It was, look how, look how far things have come and look how, and look how we can go from here. And it takes really, really, and mostly parents, it can't come from the very top down, the presidents of the ARC and the president special. It comes from parents, parents like Carl and Betty, being courageous, um, you know, go, going against the norm, uh, caring for their children when the rest of society often, you know, looks scants. Um, and it's that courage that that upended this whole system. It upended. It did not come from like Kennedy money or anything, really. At the heart of it, it came from parents who were who were sick of, of what they're hearing from doctors and they knew deep down their kids could have a full rich life you know and and i i still stand in awe of i mean it's one of the great social revolutions that nobody talks about um and that's why i was just blessed beyond measure to get to to learn about it and to showcase it in in this piece I want to hear some of the the statements, the the questions, and the feelings that they, if you can, if you have them at all, because because it doesn't make things right, but it makes it make sense. I, I think you have insight because, to be honest, you know, first you get a list of this is what's going to be wrong, and then you get a list of, you know, you get all of these challenges thrown your way, and you and and you never really understand why because your child like when Liam was in the hospital he never proved he never showed any signs of inability like actually his ability was so great because he was in the NICU for 75 days he was never on a, a respirator like he was he was continually like meeting these um, challenges and overcoming them but th the story that was coming to us was so just off. It was just off. And when you have the facts as to what started the path there, that makes sense. That kind of, that uh, I understand how we got here. It's completely wrong because it, it's hard to believe, I think, because at the same time when society says, we're not going to educate your child or um, your child has all of these limits, it, it also says your child is an angel 
and they give the best hugs and and such a joy to be around. And I would always say, well, if they're such a joy, then you should have them in an inclusive classroom. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But, you know, I think it's just the dichotomy and what the toll it takes on parents because it's it's like a a subtle form of gaslighting, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to where it's just like they can't, but it's just, it's just so cloudy. And all those things that you're saying that people say, you know, angel, but then, you know, they're really not going to be You educated. wouldn't treat a real angel like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. And those are all, uh, you know, phrases that have just been passed down. And you wonder, how did, how did we get here? Like, we're just regurgitating mm-hmm. a narrative that was passed down. And, 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 and Ted, you're showing, you know, why. And I think that was what was so interesting because we talk about, this is a narrative. How did this narrative get started that we're regurgitating? Your story shows it it wasn't like a, a reverence or even an ableism. It was a, a drive to eliminate. So I don't even know, I don't even know where still the angel and all of that, those stereotypes, happiest people came from or when it derived because it, it's, that is not the foundation of the history of Down syndrome. We should probably restate actually what is in the documentary about that. No, I want people to too. watch the stuff. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I want people to, cause I thought about that. I feel like last time we really went through the plot and everything, but you know, you're talking about telling your story and, and how important it is and how it just changes everything. And I think that watching your documentary and getting the whole story of Carl and Betty Erkstein and everything, uh, just their whole, the entire, the entirety. Cause there's, there's so much, there's so much beauty and courage. And you want to know where this road of change that we're walking on came from? They laid those first bricks, you know, they, they put the bricks down. Yeah. And I, I'll say this. And again, I, it's possible I'm repeating myself, but you know, as, as, a, as a documentary filmmaker, there, there aren't like a ton of perks. I have to, I hate to break it to anybody <laughs> out there. And, you know, you're, unless your name is Ken Burns, you're probably not going to make, you know, really good money. But, you know, one of the, one of the neat things is after you have a screening and a, a live screening, people coming up afterward, and, you know, they, they form a little line and they say nice words and, and you try to be all humble and all that, but you know, it's, it's cool. That's, you like that, but I've never experienced anything like I experienced with this film which is this so often happens. Uh, a parent will patiently wait in the line with, with the, one of their children. And it's usually a mom, but not always. And when they come finally get to the front of the line, the parent will say, you know, I just, could you please thank Carl and Betty for me? And, and even though I know at this point why, I said, well, sure, but why? And then they said, Without Carl and Betty, without Betty making that decision right off the bat when her son was born, April 1st, 1960, without that, my child here brings in her son or her daughter, hugging them, probably wouldn't be here today. And that, you know, it brings tears from all of us. And it's just, it's just when you, when you hear it like that, and when you think of it like that, it's profound. And that's where as, as a filmmaker, you just you just step back and sort of in awe of, of, of this wonderful thing you get to, to document, that you get to share. And uh, I do think that film was probably the best way for this. You could put it in a textbook and it's in textbooks, this whole this whole history. And, and you know, I've, I've read a bunch of them now, but it's, you know, it, it it's almost necessarily kind of dry. There's a lot of material. There's a lot of names and dates and, and medical terms and this and that. With film, and especially with with the Erskins having so many old 
whole movie so you could see it in, in real time. And, you know, it, you can, like I say, the eyes often say more than the mouth does. When you're interviewing people who have gone through this, who have seen little, little Jimmy Erskine go from something that, you know, wasn't supposed to come, become anything at all, wasn't supposed to become, you know, even a real person in most people's mind. And to look at what he did, look at him working for 20 years, look at him competing in Special Olympics for 50, looking at him now late in life, moving into his own home. Um, you know, when you see it, and you see the joy and the, and the pride and just the, and the humility. That's what touches people. And, you know, I was wondering if we wouldn't have a bunch of folks afterwards saying kind of grumbling or, or, or giving sort of false praise saying, well, I, I really like the baseball part, you know, and but then and not saying nobody, nobody has said that, um, you know, and, and the film is now gaining traction like, you know, it's going to be airing very soon in Los Angeles. Uh, it just aired in New York. Uh, city on Father's Day, which I think is an excellent peg. It's going to be airing in Los Angeles, KCET, the PBS station out there, July 4th, another perfect peg for a, a veteran and certainly a patriot at 6.30 p.m. And, and now we're in, uh, you know, Carl, this is kind of the update. I don't know if you know this yet, but just a couple of days ago, Carl won a big award. And so now his name is going to be out there nationally all the more. What was his award? That was my teeing up so I could then introduce um, He Just two days ago, I think it was two days ago at this point. Yes, he learned, it's been a, a flurry since then. He learned that he has won, I've got to get this right, the Buck O'Neill Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, this is a, it's a really big deal. Um, they only give it out once every three years. He joins the uh, the likes of Rachel Robinson, which is great because that's Jackie Robinson's widow, Jackie Robinson, Carl's old teammate with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and Jer Joe Garajola is another uh, guy who won the award. And so Carl is now at 96. He's finally entering the Hall of Fame, which has been a dream for him. I mean, he he wasn't really good enough as a player, but he went to all his buddies' inductions. It was like one after another, and he used to quip, well, I'm just the guy that helps him get here. Well, this time at 96, it will be Carl celebrated. This is Hall of Fame weekend. All the big you know, media and everybody's going to be there, you know, for what he's done. And they, of course, they singled out. They said, yes, great baseball player, but they really singled out what he has done for the intellectually disabled. Um, and 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 that's that means that's going to be celebrated for all to see. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that that will just carry his message all the further so we're you know we're we're so grateful i can't i'm, I'm so excited it's going to play in la home of the dodgers i'm so excited it's going to play in it did play in new york you know with uh, the brooklyn dodgers and uh you know we're just hoping sort of in a, in a grassroots kind of way we're hoping to keep pushing out there across the country that's why I'm, i just absolutely love this platform and i'm, I'm grateful We'll put a link in the show notes okay. uh, with the details of how to how to watch. Is it going to be available online for KCET? I know that's a public that's public television. So is that something that? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, I don't know what their plans are in in that way yet. Um, New York City, I had to sign some big contract. Um, uh, L.A., I didn't. So you know, I, I, a difference. But I hope so. And also, you can stream the film for just twelve bucks if you go to the film website, which is Carl Erskine Film dot com carlerskinfilm.com you can also buy dvds and blu-rays there streaming is the is the easiest option for sure but there's a lot of other in, neat information on there upcoming live screenings and, and and other things and so 
it's been neat. I just, I'm so happy. I've been on the phone with the Erskins for the last, you know, two days ever since the news broke. As a matter of fact, what happened was I reached out to the president of the Hall of Fame and I said, hey, uh, do you know when the voting is for this? Because I knew Carl was going to, Carl was actually nominated by the Chicago Bulls and White Sox owner. His name is Jerry Reinsdorf. I didn't know Jerry was a big Brooklyn guy. He used to go to Brooklyn Dodgers games. So I didn't know any of that. If I knew that, I would have asked him for donations. <laughs> but anyway, he ended up flying down from Chicago on his private jet uh, into tiny Anderson, Indiana. He, he watched the premiere. And the next day, I confess, I'm celebrating at a, a drinking establishment. And all of a sudden, my cell phone rings and it says, Jerry Reinsdorf on it. And I'm like, well, I don't, it's not every day I get a call from Jerry Reinsdorf, so I better go outside and take this one. And basically what he said is that, listen, I, I love the film. I love the story. Let's see if we can get Carl this award. And so he commissioned me, and I was glad to be commissioned to, you know, we, we, get, we gave all the voters a copy of the film and all that stuff. And I talked to Gary, his son today, and I said, Gary, don't you think this is the biggest award your dad's ever gotten? He said, without question without question. I mean, it's the perfect award for his life. It's the contributions off the field, what he did for society. And it's so nice to see a, a deserving guy get honored. I mean, and 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 it's not posthumous, right? He's the, he's there to know it, to feel it, uh, to enjoy it. And so I will certainly be there on July 22nd in Cooperstown, New York, um, to celebrate with him and his wife and the family. It is the perfect award for him. And to see him getting Hall of Fame is just, it's very emotional. It's really amazing. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is. I mean, you look at, I mean, he's the last man standing of those Brooklyn Dodgers boys of summer. Uh, five or six of his teammates are in the hall. Gil Hodges, Jackie Robinson, Pee Wee Reese, Duke Snyder, Roy Campanella. I think that's probably it. But they had this great team. And, you know, and Carl was never quite as good as those guys, but he was one of the guys for sure. He was part of that bunch. Two no-hitters, World Series strikeout record. I mean, he was a terrific player. just didn't play all that long. And uh, and then, of course, what he did after his retirement was much, much more important, much more impactful. He would say that himself than what he was able to do during his you know 12 years in the majors. And so, again, a lot of times the good people in life don't get the, the recognition that they deserve. And so this is this is pretty cool. Carl deserves this award. And I feel like he's going to it's great that we get to celebrate him. But I have this feeling that that shift after doing what m most of society would have deemed the end all be all. And I think we said this last time. I think Carl probably has been celebrating like the richer reward, do you know, just like from his life. Like, I, I don't know when you're saying that because and this is something I've learned from Liam, because a lot of times on the outside, I'll I'll be, you know, <laughs> we're like his guard. We're like the guard gate and like looking for like different, you know, protecting him. But on the inside, Liam knows like he and he lives his life. Right. And he's and he's in that spot that we strive to be that spot of purpose and peace. And when I watched Carl's story, he just got it right. You know, he just got it right. And just the celebration of him, his life is a celebration. You know, you watch this movie and just, I mean, from the very, very beginning of just love and kindness and presence and courage, it should never be referred to as courage to raise your own child. But he lived in a time that he had to be brave, but I, I, I would beg to, you know, like he, he just did it. He lived that life. 
it gives me hope for society that maybe we're getting it right now, that maybe society is seeing what's important because Carl's always seen what was important. You know, you watch his life. He's always known him and Betty have always, you know, not, not without being challenged. I know that. And sometimes it was hard, but it gives me hope that perhaps society's perspective of what success is, is maybe getting um, a little insight to what real success is. A little more evolved. Uh, you would certainly, you'd certainly hope so. And it was, you know, as, as you well know, it's not just, you know, Carl Erskine all of a sudden flipped the light switch. It was, it was parents, you know, across the country, across the world who were doing that. But, you know, those who were in, you know, more of a spotlight had, well, more of a spotlight on them. And, you know, they had tremendous impact. I mean, you know, I, I was kind of why I wanted to end the Carl film as I did with this, this just Carl and Betty, and they're out on their porch, and Carl's playing, you know, he's playing harmonica, and they have their their U.S. flag out there, which isn't, you know, it wasn't for show. They had that out there 24-7 all, all the time. Um, it, it, it's a, I think it's a hopeful message, but it also is more than that. I think it's one that says these great things can happen, but they can only happen if people work work for them and, and bind together for them. And yes, your point about Carl getting awards, while I do believe, and he would say this, I'm sure this is the biggest one he's got, he didn't need any awards. Um, I have to say he is, he leads, and we didn't go too big into this, into the show, because um, he doesn't go too big on it, but he he's really a faith-based guy. He, he's a very religious guy. I think he has, he has lived his life, him and his wife, that they're very at peace with things now. Are there sadnesses? Of course. Of course, and challenges and everything, but you know they and they miss their son Jimmy. You know he comes back once a week and they have lunch, and now he takes care of them in a really interesting twist. Um, but they are they are very much content. But I think what what Carl told me is that what he really liked about the film was that the focus was on living for others, not just to focus on on wins and losses in a baseball game or who you're which big wig you're friends with or anything like that, that it, it, it was a more pure message. And it, it wasn't necessarily something I set out to do. I just learned my subject and and then tried to replicate, mirror as best I could and put it in, in his words. And I just, you know, again, I, I get lucky to receive some some neat response after films. I, I did certainly with the one on Eva Core. But boy, not not quite like this. I mean, you know, Eva Core is a Holocaust survivor. How many of us are Holocaust survivors? You know, how, but Carl's a pretty relatable guy. You know, he's kind of an everyman. There are Anderson, Indianas. There's a million of them around around the country, and he's lived there his whole life. And I think he is he is uh, almost a, not a reluctant, but he he doesn't really mean to be a teacher. Doesn't really mean to shine a light. He just does. And uh, and his wife does as well. I have to give her equal credit. Um, you know, Betty Erskine, man, she's one of the best people I've ever met. And, 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 but they've lived just a, a good life. I think they show what can be done. You know, that you don't need a gazillion dollars, that you don't need to, to change policy at the very top to make everything. Yeah, that would all help. But what really fuels change, real social change, is real people. And, and that was kind of the hope 
did I get there? I mean, in terms of diversity too, with his best friend, a young African-American boy, and then his incredible relationship with Jackie Robinson. It all comes back to the same thing. And that's why Carl wrote the little book he wrote, The Parallel. He said he it's just basically about giving people opportunity, letting letting their beauty shine, you know, and, and being happy that uh, you can be friends or, or related or just be, you know, it's a it's a simple joy. I could use a million words and not get it right, but but you sit with Carl for five minutes and you feel it. I think of the biggest reward for both of them is how they live their life. I would assume we use the we use the word courage, you know, in certain decisions they've made. <laughs> you look back and go, "Wow, I mean that what a payoff <laughs> for, for those for those choices." Yeah, and you know, it's not easy. It was, I would dare say, it was a little harder back then without, oh yeah, you know, any kind of schooling or anything. But, but as you also know, I mean, it's a constant battle. I was just at the, the summer games for the Indiana Special Olympics. You know, they have summer games for all the different state special. Olympics. Oh my gosh, it, it's just, it's just so neat. And I always see things through a sort of a historical lens. And I, and I, I was looking at this gathering of twenty two hundred athletes and then their families in this big arena, and I was thinking. This wouldn't, this wouldn't be possible 50 years ago. And in the whole continuum of time, 50 years is just a blip. It's a blip. And so look at the sea change that again was caused, well, not just by parents, but by the children themselves, by the children themselves. And it, I do believe it's opening eyes. I think if, I don't know, maybe they're, they have these things done all the time. I don't know. But if there were a public poll taken um, today versus 60 years ago, about your reaction when you interact with somebody with an intellectual disability will be a huge difference. And that's terrific. It's not, it will never be all the way there, but everybody's pushing and pushing and pushing and inclusion in the workforce, inclusion in school. I mean, what I like about Special Olympics is that's really their their end goal. The, the sports is really fun and it's important and it builds confidence and it builds strength, but they're trying and now with this Athlete Leadership University and unified sports, people with and without disabilities competing side by side. They really have a game plan. Like these people, a lot of these people will be bosses someday and looking to hire people. Well, maybe they'll, who will they hire? A person that was their teammate. And they saw, oh my gosh, what a great soul this is and, how, and what a contributor this person can be. The politics of the matter are tough and, and they can be awful hateful nowadays. I don't want to get in a soapbox about that, but it disturbs me deeply. But in the end, this push has started it is gaining traction and it's just beautiful to watch and i'm grateful beyond measure that had i not done the carl erskine story i wouldn't have gotten to know any of this you know i feel so lucky um because now i'm hooked for life you know i get to do a lot of special things you know with with a lot of the special olympics athletes they, they reach out to me can you do this can you speak here i'm like yeah you tell me tell me where tell me where to go you know this is uh it's, it's not an obligation. It's a gift, a gift to be able to learn and help where I can and, and be helped. <laughs> what did you start out to make? Uh, in this film? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I had heard about Carl. I heard he was a, an amazing guy. He had received Indiana's highest award for a civilian. 
I, I, I do have a sports background, and so I was interested in that. I'm especially interested in 1950s baseball. It was kind of the golden age of the sport with Willie, Mickey, and the Duke, and three teams in New York City, and, and, and that decade that brought about all the changes, including, for instance, moving from Brooklyn to L.A. and from New York to San Francisco and from uh, trains to planes and from radio to TV, and the biggest of all, of course, from all white to integrated. And Carl was there, this guy from this little humble dude from uh, Anderson, Indiana, was like front and center for this whole, you know, this whole circus, this whole parade. But, and I also knew that he had been involved um, in Special Olympics and the Ark of Indiana, but I didn't know, nearly know how deep, but I thought, but this is true, for a long time, and I got into this in the last um, episode I did with you guys, is because of uh, something that happened to a childhood friend of mine. I, I wanted to tell a story about people with intellectual disabilities, but I could never find my way in. My, my, my fear was that if I it was all about people with intellectual disabilities, that would be the audience. Um, their parents and maybe teachers and, and, and the, the children and adults themselves. But I, with this, I just it just something hit me like, wow, this is a way you can celebrate the baseball and have so much fun with it, but you can celebrate so much more and bring new eyes to this. And then, but again, I was still at that point, still kind of thinking mostly a sports story with this other stuff, maybe on the side. And then I got into it and then I started researching it and, and just saw, and then I started attending ARC events and I went to graduations at the Erskine Green Training Institute in Muncie, which is this incredible uh, job training program for the intellectual disabled. And, and as a journalist, it's like, I just, I felt it. This is a story. This is a story. You can argue that we back into it a little bit, maybe. But I think I sort of take it chronologically. And I want to show how Carl himself evolved. He evolved. I mean, he didn't expect this. He was as shocked as, as any parent was. In fact, he admits to being uh, almost numb. He didn't know what to do. And it was really Betty who stepped up and said, oh, no, 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 no. This kid ain't going to no institution. He's coming home with me. And, and and then Carl, of course, applauding that. But I think you can see through a single lens, a lens of this one humble guy, you can see so much positive change, so much positivity in this time when we have so many, you know, siloed uh, political views and, and, and everything like that. There's a, there wasn't an ounce of, of politics in that film. Um, and, and it was just, let's, let's, let's do more than say let's watch carl do let's let's watch his actions speak for him and i think they did and uh again it's uh it's it's just neat to see how many people big name people came aboard and it's not because it was ted green making a film believe me they didn't know who who are you but you know to have charlie steiner the dodgers announcer to have him narrate it he does such a wonderful job oh i talked to him yesterday and he was over the moon about the award that carl got and to have bob costas did an, an intro for the film and he appeared in it and of course branch ricky the third and they just it was they said it's time that we celebrate this guy this lifestyle this part of american society i think they all saw it as way bigger than a baseball story and and they wanted to they wanted in and uh, i'm i'm so grateful to all of them. i say grateful a lot it sounds like a a, a shtick but it's not i mean it, it, i've never felt more so that way professionally than i have with this project i get that i completely understand when you when you have so much um when you feel so fortunate i don't think it's sticky at all to 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 say that 
I feel like that's our, our life and our journey with Liam. We say that a lot, but it's true. Um, and it's the truth. And I think people on the outside that don't get that are like, those would be the only people to say it's sticky, sit down and watch the film. Um, whether, you know, and it's just like, oh yeah, I get it. Telling our stories is so important, but sometimes we're afraid to tell our stories. And I don't feel, I feel like it's the voice that should be telling those stories because those, those are the stories that need to change, but we're so busy trying to do what's right or trying not to rock a boat or trying to really navigate a situation, navigate that same boat that has a lot of added weight that doesn't belong in there. And we get afraid to say stuff, to speak up. And what your story does is it, it is, it's a, you know, you look at like, there's certain movies that you get to the end of the movie and you go, that's a perfect movie. I watch that movie like 20 times a year that because it's so like, it just flows and it has all the elements of a good, like a story, you know, like I'm talking, you know, like when Harry met Sally, <laughs> that's one of mine, <laughs> but this documentary, it's that same fullness of a story. It's the fullness that every life has the potential to muster the courage to use our voice. Like Betty, like it was, how many words was it that she said, no, I'm keeping my child. I'm taking him home. Like, five. right. <laughs> it's like, and, but it took so much courage and those five words changed history. And I think that not only does the, the documentary shine a light on how the archaic beliefs began, where they began, watch it. And I'm, or you can, you know, I guess you could Google, like pick up an encyclopedia or go, like you, you said, the story, the facts have been there, but very, very dryly and maybe dryly for a reason, because maybe people thought no one's going to read this anyway. Right. But the facts are there about how it started and it didn't start from the inside. It didn't, it wasn't like founded in any not any kind of truth. There was no truth in it, but we've carried it for so long. We've carried that story as our story for so long. And what it shows is that, you know, as parents, you do have to have courage on this journey. One day, maybe we'll be granted the right to have the usual and only the usual concerns that we have with children. But on this journey, we do need an extra set of tools, of courage tools. And I think what it shows is that's how the Erkskins made the change. He had to be brave. He wasn't just a big baseball player. He had to be brave. She had to be brave. She had to go against, I mean, I think I go against society sometimes when I'm, when I was in a grocery store and people, and a few people would come up to me, the narrative that they faced back then with grace and not, not giving it any, I don't, well, I can't say they didn't give it any power, but not giving it maybe the power that we've grown accustomed to giving over. And I, and I think that this film shows that the changes are very, very slow, but, but they're possible, but they're, yeah, they're possible. And they came from two parents, like you said, just two parents saying no, and that we ha we have that power, and I th and that's what I want parents to understand is that like you're not alone, and this family, they didn't have a spotlight shining on it at all. Like we didn't know this story, like e even with the, like when you think of Special Olympics, I would think of the Kennedys. I would think of you know like none of this was something that we actually had at our fingertips. That was you know the the known like when you when you hear about things. 
And, and I think that now we know it, like parents can maybe understand the power that they have in their own child's life to change the narrative. I, I, boy, I mean, that's, that's a lot there. I, but I understand all of it. I, I don't understand it as deeply as you two feel it, but for the last three years, I've been really sort of, I've dove in, dived in, whatever you're doing. And, uh, and I, and I've, I've seen it and I felt it with just, just amazing family and, and the, and the Ark of Indiana, special understanding, they've been wrapping their arms around me in this whole project and teaching me and teaching me and teaching me. What I say is that, you know, I don't like to compare my films. I think that they're at the bottom are very, very different. But I do believe now in retrospect that the, the message of this film is what I've been sort of uh, subconsciously striving for all along. And I think it's that message and I sort of right near the end of the film, we look at Jackie Robinson's tombstone said a life is only worth its impact on other lives. I think Jackie embodied that, bodied that. I think Carl embodies that. I think so many people around the country embody it. We just don't know them. Right. And it's in it. But it's this great group think, this great group act that is rising the tide and it is lifting all boats, even if it's not all not, not everybody sees it all the time. I remember a line from Betty in the film. She she was talking about. Um, you know, I asked, I said, it had to have been hard sometimes, right? I mean, there were, you know, stairs and this and that. And she said, oh, yeah, there, of course. She said she remembered one thing. It was at the College Baseball World Series. Their son, Gary, was playing in it for Texas. And so they went down there with Jimmy to watch it. And they sat in the stands. And sure enough, there was a, a group of students that started you know, making fun of, of Jimmy in some way. And what Betty said is, she said, all I could think is, thank God it's not you because this is my child, this is my baby, and nobody can love him any more than me and, and his dad can. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't so much, it was pitying these people that had these feelings of, of, of hate and insecurity and, and fear. You know, thank God it isn't you, because would, be would they be able to raise a child with the kind of love that the Erskins did? Would they be able to help sweep up a, a movement um, you know, uh, I'm not going to call them headliners because, but this is a powerful movement and they were a powerful surge within that movement. These are the kind of people you need. And I think that, I think that Jimmy brought the best out of Carl and Betty. Now that I think about it, that they were already great, great souls out there, but it just, it revealed who they really were, that they were up for this and they were going to lead with love despite all the societal push to look at these folks with fear and hatred and pity and all this other stuff there. I know he's our kid. He's doing great. Taking him everywhere we go. Um, Carl tells us, I couldn't get this in the film, but it was, it was neat. It was in the seventies at some point, they were talking about putting a sort of a group home in, in some residential neighborhood and all these neighborhood meetings and all these people standing up. So we do not want those people in our neighborhood. We do not want this. We do not want. And it was in the newspaper. It was very big. And the vitriol was crazy to look back on. And at one point, Carl, who did not one to stand up and shout out, he stood up from the front row and he turned around. And there was this one specific person who was who was saying, they're going to bring down the neighborhood, the, the violence, the crime, the sex. This, and and he, he finally stood up and looked back and said, what do you know? You know, we're not going to talk about putting in a landfill here. These are beautiful people who are going to bring so much to this residency. And sure enough, that's what happened. There was never a problem. 
um, they, they check back five, 10 years later, the neighbors all loved it, that, that this group is in there. And, and that's what, you know, that's what Carl and Betty did. I think there was somebody quoted in the film saying that they started in their community and then it kind of moved on to their city. And then it kind of moved on to the state of Indiana. And some of their influence went out, I would say a large part, went out nationally. Um, Eunice Kennedy Schreiber picked Carl as a spokesperson for a reason. He's not just a celebrity, he was a father, right? And he could really speak from the heart and from experience. And, you know, his, his impact has just been tremendous. And to be able to research that and kind of cobble it all together, I mean, Carl and Betty even said they were surprised to see it all together for the first time. They, you know, you don't really look at your life like that. But I'm hoping that now, I mean, especially we have this educational part of our real big push, especially in Indiana right now. But we're the first year since the premiere last fall, we've been focusing on screenings, in-person screenings. We've had over 50, every little part of Indiana, great old theaters, refurbished and whatnot. But now this year is going to really be in the schools and they're bringing this epic, we call epic Erskine personal impact curriculum. It has a shortened version of the film. It has video digital lesson plans, highly vetted, um, you know, by teachers groups, principals groups. And then it has three age level books, middle school, preschool um, and high school. And we've already taken orders for more than 100 thousand books we're giving us all away and schools are starting to lap it up and and you know our hope is that that will just it will keep keep this legacy alive in such a positive way you know you might watch the film a couple times like it or dislike it and put it on a shelf but there are new sixth graders every year new sixth graders and again the hope that 50 years from now a sixth grader might go through some of this curriculum read these books see the film and look across the room at a kid who doesn't look like him or, or act like him and think, well, there's no reason why we can't be buddies. You know, that's, that's powerful. And if that even just affects a few people, that's a, that's a great thing. So again, I'm in for that. I am in total debt to the Special Olympics Indiana. This was, there was kind of their baby, their part of the project and they are running with it. And especially now that Carl won that uh, recent award, we're hoping that it will gain even more traction in that room. Well, let's put the link to that in the show notes because, you know, if there's educators listening or, you know, even as a parent, you know, it's about what we can do as parents to make a change, take it to your school. Yeah, I appreciate it. And again, people, they see these things are like, well, this guy's just probably trying to make, make money. No, and if the money won't go to me, right? The money goes to Special Olympics because that was Carl's wish. Um, and it's not about the money. It's about getting the word out of a great family and a family that can give you hope and a family that can give you direction, I think. This is a story who, it hasn't been told like this before. Uh, it is a, it's a, it's a story that really shines a light on, I think it's one of the most honest lights on the journey, like historical and how we got here. And who was the old 1950s couple that was movie stars? Uh, Roy Rogers. Is it Roy Rogers and Dale Evans? Yes. And she wrote the book, Angel Unaware. That's right. So that story, I I wanted to see, and I I bought it, and I read it because someone was like, "You have to read this story." Maybe that's where the angel came from. Maybe that's where that came from. That 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 they decided to write a book, and and people took it as, well, then the, here you have a 
successful couple and this must be it. Well, that's got to be the that's gospel, got, right? That's got to be the gospel. That's all they had. But one of the points in there is that, you know, their child had a heart ailment. So their child died very young, but it never, ever. And these are like very successful people. They didn't deem our children to deserve those heart surgeries that would have saved their child's life. hundred percent. If this story, if this, the book would, would have been written by Carl and Betty and she would have said, and I told them, I'm going to take my son home. That would have changed everything. If that was the book that was released, you know, 60 years ago, that would have changed everything. And um, it's not about changing your income. It's about changing the narrative. <laughs> and, and anybody who's a part of this journey knows that that narrative has to be changed. You know, you feel it right when you step on the path because it's a, it's a story coming the other way. Well, and, and, you know, again, this brings me back to that line. I probably shared it in our last talk, but a great line in a book that won the Pulitzer Prize a few years ago. He said, the greatest argument, I'll get this a little wrong, but the greatest argument in the world won't change somebody's mind. The only thing that can do that is a good story. And I actually believe it. I think people need to see it. They need to see it to to really start to understand and start to walk in somebody else's shoes rather than just to hear it. Yes, you should do this. Yes, you should do that. This, this film, and like Carl and Betty, doesn't ever say, yes, you should do this or, or you don't ever do that. It's just It just shows what they did. And so viewers can watch it and take it in and, and think about it for themselves. And I think that's the kind of story you know, saying a story tells itself, that's, of course, never, ever, ever true. Um, but in a way, their, their story just, it just speaks so clearly. I saw it so clearly once I'd finally done all the research. And that's when I turned to my editor and I said, you know, we have something different here. This is, this is, this is different than your average bear. We have a, we have a really deep and, and profound subject matter. And so then it was it was our challenge just to to bring it out in all in all its beauty and not preach and just show. And um, as they someone said, light a path. And boy, you know, the further the Erskine's legacy can be spread, I think the more good it will do for society. So, you know, anybody who wants to come on board, this is we are a small grassroots movement. But uh, we're, we're, we are gaining some traction, and I think that speaks really well. People, people want great inspirational stories. They want that. They just have to be provided. Um, and, but to see people, I mean, we did look at each other early on. And we're like, are people going to like this? I mean, we got like a half a baseball story, and then we got half of something else. And we're like, I don't know, but I think, I think, I think they will. We'll see. And, and the result has been um, just uh, tremendous. Well, I think you empowered. I think that's what you did is you empowered, like when we, like you, you empower them. You've, you've given them something that maybe we haven't or society, society definitely hasn't, the education system hasn't, as parents, we may not have known or thought to do, or maybe the information is new to us. And just like, like what, you know, I, I think about, like if I'm going through life and, and I have this view of me put on me, but I don't know, I don't know where it came from. And I, I deal with that and I overcome it every step of the way. Right. And, 
And then if someone just says, you know where that came from, I'm, I'm given the insight to be like, well, that's nonsense. You know, that's, that's what I've been fighting. Well, how many, how many challenges do people take on that has nothing to do with who they are like in, in, in the, any, any human on this planet? How many challenges do they, do they take on? Like whether it be, you know, from family or history, like whatever it is, society. And then once you are given the clarity of knowing that that isn't yours, that isn't yours. I think it, it, I don't know. I, I just gives you like that uh, lights a light. It gives you um, a, a, a strength. Those they're just, I, I, I don't, it just gives you a strength. Like that's not, that's not mine. That's yours. So now I have more energy to be on my path. And if we can do that for individuals with Down syndrome and intellectual disabilities, if we can give them that, if we can give that freedom to um, their families, or and and you know their classmates to go oh this person is bullying them for this reason or this person has this viewpoint from this reason this is where that comes from folks and that's what your film does it 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 just it states the truisms it puts it out there it doesn't tell you what to do but um i don't know how you can't help but <laughs> do what's right after watching it well, you just said the three best words, and I wouldn't have been able to guess this, but once you hear them, you hear them. The three best words you can hear about a, a film or a book or anything. Light's a light. Light's a light. Um, again, I, I I feel in a weird spot here because I'm, I'm getting a lot of credit simply for, you know, documenting a splendid subject. Um, but I do believe that's what Carl and Betty do. I think they've done it. Um, especially in this area, you know, for 63 years now, that's how old Jimmy is now. And he's going, going strong. Um, I think they've been, both of them have been lighting a light through with diversity in other ways, all sorts of other ways, ever since they were born in the 1920s. Um, and I think that there are just certain people that if you're able to capture them for posterity, bottle their, their strengths, their vision, their, their inspiration, you got to do it. You know, uh, take the chance, take the opportunity to do it. I was very fortunate. Um, probably Carl wouldn't be able to do it if we started now. Um, but man, you see him in the film. He, he sounds so clear. You know, he's 96 with, I say, a 12 year old's eyes. Um, you know, he he's still lighting lights. And now, you know, the sports world will be able to learn a little bit more because of this award he just got. I mean, he'll be on the big stage. They'll, you know, it, it brings more positive light to a story, to a life, to a condition um, that needs it, that will benefit by it. And to, and I would think everybody, again, like me, I'm not directly touched by this, but I am because I'm part of society too, right? And I think that everybody should learn about about a guy like Carl and know that there are Carl and Betty's. And again, I will say that you are in that same, same group all over the place. Sometimes, uh, you know, you just need to take a second and, and, and look at the, look at the great stories that are out there and, and don't be so turned off by you know, the nonsense you see in the headlines every day. This is an important, crucially important social revolution that is ongoing. 
it's ongoing and it needs people to fuel it and again what you guys are doing is is uh is uh is very very noble a good story can change minds i i believe that and that's the hope here so blessed to have talked to you again to have you in our lives i consider you a friend uh i have to thank our friend mary wall a documentarian that introduced us we're just really blessed to have talked to you again listen i feel i feel the same way and uh a lot of tough stuff going on in life uh, right now, like everybody's, including mine. But this is kind of, this is a light. This is a light, and I just, it's, it's changed my life. And uh, I hope it can change a lot of others. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. From the top.